Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Sourness Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman, and this week I spoke with composer Clint Bajakian, who worked on Blizzard Studios' World of Warcraft, Warlords of Draenor, which sold over 3.3 million copies within the first 24 hours of being released. Clint took on the task of working alongside six other composers who were all responsible to breathe life and the danger of war into this epic soundtrack that fans have associated with this incredible gaming experience. I hope you enjoy. Well, Clint, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this project, uh, World of Warcraft Warlords of Draenor, and I was excited to talk with you just to find out more about you know, your involvement with uh, Blizzard and this title. And Tell me, how long have you been working on uh, with Blizzard or, or on these uh, World of Warcraft titles? Well, the, the exciting thing for me, too, was to receive a phone call from Russell uh, in, I believe, August, okay. and inviting me to uh, be on the composition team for this particular expansion mm-hmm. of World of Warcraft. Uh, it's the first time I've worked on World of Warcraft, and with Blizzard for that matter. Okay. Uh, so it's really exciting to join the team, and uh, the the thing that's so exciting about World of Warcraft, of course, is is the the world is so expansive. There's so much uh, drama and depth and storytelling and narrative and and intrigue and uh, nuance among the different characters and locations and and uh, regions that it just plays right into super dramatic music storytelling, musical yeah. storytelling. So I think that may be a, a quality in my music yeah. uh, that Russell might have uh, been interested in when, when he, he uh, thought to invite me on the team. But I, I loved working with him and with Blizzard and embracing all this uh, wonderful subject matter. Are you a gamer at all? Yeah, sure. I, well, <laughs> More, even more than a, uh, I'd say, more than a gamer, I am a video game um, developer okay. in, in, in the field of audio and, and specifically music, of course. Yeah. Um, almost 25 years now doing that. Uh, so, my primary focus regarding video games, of course, is making them yeah. um, and collaborating with people to that end. But yeah, sure, I play games. I, <laughs> one of my favorite ones is Far Cry 4, actually, I'm playing oh, right nice. now. Oh, nice. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, I, I always wonder, like, as I get older, am I going to continue playing games? And it's, uh, I think the answer is yes. I don't think we ever really get shake that habit. No, no. And, and the interesting thing, too, especially for me, is is that uh, as I was growing up and becoming uh, more discerning, you know, video game technology and video games were growing up and becoming more sophisticated. So it kind of worked out well that way. Yeah, nice. So I guess when you're even thinking about um, working on a title like this, how far and like the resources wise in terms of how big and um, wide you can take the music in, in a project like this um, do they give you somewhat kind of or parameters really you know within this world yes absolutely uh, that is one of the the greatest things of working with Russell Brower mm-hmm. who is the senior audio director at, at Blizzard Entertainment and and also the uh, lead composer uh, on the World of Warcraft series, let alone this one title. Um, and his leadership is really wonderful. I mean, one of the things that he does with his composers is uh, is encourage them to view the sky as the limit. I mean, he, he says, you know, his initial instructions to us uh, for what he called the prototype or the initial sort of concept piece mm-hmm. uh, was he was gonna send us some artwork from the game 
he was going to tell us the story of the game, you know, kind of a summary of the story. Yeah. And then he said, now, you, you have five minutes of music to write. Tell me a story. And that was all, 100% of his direction. Wow. And so we all went off, and our imaginations, and of course, that's a great technique on his part from the standpoint of, of creative direction and creative leadership, because if you tell composers or artists to, to just go off and do something cool, mm. right, they're going to they're gonna give their all, and they're going to find ideas and imaginative uh, concepts within themselves that that more specific direction might actually start to, uh, you know, limit. Mm. So it was really great. I, I said, well, heck, I can, <laughs> I can do that. And, and, and what I came up with was, was literally a story. It was a five minute, uh, uh, t if you will, a tone poem mm -hmm. where that the notion was, uh, I, I envisioned a, a sailing vessel approaching a, a mist shrouded Island. And then the, the intrepid explorers setting foot on the island and venturing into a, a forest that was filled with both danger and enchantment. Um, and then, of course, uh, an evil, you know, uh, an evil nemesis that <laughs> you come into contact with. And uh, there is a sort of a, a, a cataclysm. And then and then you uh, you meet with your own end and uh, have this kind of noble ascension to heaven at the end. And. Uh, it was this entirely programmatic piece of music that that I was writing, and and uh, it was really fun to write a five-minute piece of music that that went through a journey, mm -hmm. because often in video games we're we're asked to do, uh, you know, one ambient piece for an environmental area or one action piece for for some sort of combat situation, mm -hmm. and they're usually a minute and a half or two minutes long, but to do a five-minute journey was was really fun. Nice. I guess in the end, you ended up creating about 21 minutes of original score and 65 minutes of derived musical arrangements. So yes. What, what does that mean in terms of how it's um, experienced in the gameplay? Well, that's a great question. And the, the best people to answer that, of course, are the incredible team at Blizzard. Yeah. Uh, but what they do uh, is they, they take all the music mm -hmm. and they have at their disposal both the horizontal, if you will, aspect of the music which is you know the running time uh, and being able to cut different sections and reorder them or just use one section for a particular scene in the game but they also have the vertical uh, cross section of all that music ie the uh, multi uh, multi-track uh, sub mixes of the different instrumental families and mm -hmm. the soloists and the percussion and, and the choir and all these different elements that they can rearrange and remix to suit various situations in the game. And in fact, that's how we created those 65 minutes of alternate cues. Okay. The basic point of those alternate cues is if you have uh, a, a large piece of music where you know often everybody's playing or most people are playing, uh, if you, if you will, deconstruct it and you take just the harp and uh, and, and maybe some of the percussion, and maybe even lay in a new part yeah. with that, you can create a, a piece of music that's completely different, very ambient, very uh, sort of mysterious, when if you brought all the rest of the parts back in, it would become a completely different, more exciting piece, for example. So you have a lot of creative latitude in, in all the different material that you can derive from, from what we call the source material. Because there's more than one composer on this project, um, looks like there's a, from 
Seven. Se- yeah, seven. <laughs> yeah. How do they even? How do they draw consistency across the whole game and the soundtrack and and just the whole experience for the the gamer? Is there, you know, was that part of the challenge that you were faced with, or how? how yeah. That, that, that's a great question, and I think uh, again, a wonderful question for Russell. My my yeah. my own perspective on that is that the first step in gaining a handle on that uh, for for the creative director in Russell's position mm-hmm. is to hand select your team very carefully so that you're coordinating what you know the various uh, uh, artists voices mm. creative voices to be and you're kind of coordinating them now uh, when I worked at Sony PlayStation and, and I did the exact same thing for God of War yeah. where I, uh, I directed the music and hired a number of composers uh, it, 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 it it's it's actually more interesting and more subtle than saying let's compose multi- let's let's select multiple composers who have similar voices that have compatible uh, voices that are um, uh, that are consistent with one another. Okay. In fact, you want to do the opposite. You want to you want to have consistencies and overlaps, but you want them to pull and tug against each other in different directions and and broaden the palette that you're working with so that you can have a selective decision making you know and who gets assigned to which area and which theme and and, yeah. and, and like that nice and, and a big part of these games is the presence of a choir of these amazing the language the unknown of what this you know this backing support is is producing um you know what was your take on how you wanted to to utilize a, a choir and, and how did it end up in the tracks well, that's a wonderful question. The, the choir is a, a, an amazingly powerful musical element. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the thing, to my mind, that, that brings you up over the top of the cliff. When, yeah. when, you, when you're thinking of melody and theme, and by the way, your previous question uh, is, is uh, there's maybe a little bit more on that that I'd like to say. Okay. You know, coordinating different composers' styles one of the thing that was that was common to all of us composers is a love of melody and a love of theme and a, and a tendency to write melodically and that's a very important thing in a in a, a story based game like like this where a narrative is so important uh, and the the other thing is that we listen to what each other were doing and especially the concept piece the five minute piece we all worked together in the same control room it was interesting having nice. you know so so many people all together but you really got a feeling for each other's music and even started to quote each other here and there in your own pieces it was a very uh, a very collaborative and very open and zero competition of course just mm-hmm. nothing but nothing but uh, creativity and, and fun and uh, so that that was a big part uh, as well and then lastly I think the way that Blizzard in post-production um, they have great control over mastering the music to be uh, sonically consistent and um, utilizing the different variety uh, that exists throughout the different composers and the different pieces to suit the great variety of environments and, and uh, subjects in the game. So that actually, that variety and the, that disparate almost quality uh, plays into the game and the, the very varied environments uh, very well. But the choir, the, uh, the thing about the human voice is 
that likely, if it wasn't percussion, which it very well may have been back in primordial times, yeah. in first instances of music making, it certainly was the human voice. And we we use our actual hearts and diaphragms and lungs and vocal cords and our actual physical selves so that if we're if we're doing a big dramatic leap from a low note to a high note which is so common in opera and arias and yeah. opera very emotive um we use more muscles and we we strain a little bit more and we struggle a little bit and so there's a great analog to life and to <laughs> struggle uh and so when the orchestra is crescendoing and and uh playing a theme that that is hopefully grabbing the listener and and is somehow emotional uh and, and engaging when that choir comes in it just pushes it over the top and and becomes so human and so emotional uh it's a very a very important part of i think the world of warcraft nice what's your process for um for writing and then and programming or sequencing arranging what, what do you tend to um where do you go first well i that, that's a great question i i uh I use a uh, an iPhone and sing into it. Uh -huh. That for me, that's the best. My 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 favorite tool for composition is is uh, essentially a tape recorder or some kind of little dictaphone that yeah, you sure. always have with you. Yeah. Uh, that and also playing at the piano. Okay. Um, playing at the piano is a a way to just you know dream, if you will. I think the most important phase of composition is the dream phase when your your subconscious and your your ideas are just flowing and you, you you've got there's no sense of i have to write a piece there's mm -hmm. just a sense of 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 seeing what comes to you and and what comes to you is is always the best stuff as opposed mm -hmm. to what you feel you're you know actually actively creating yeah. you know it's it's uh, it's wonderful when it comes to you and sometimes you capture just a 10 second 20 second idea on, on tape, quote unquote, yeah. on your iPhone or whatever. And you know that you've got a two minute piece. You just know that that 15 seconds, I'm set now, now I can go to the sequencer, mm -hmm. I know what to do. Now, going to the sequencer. I hate going to the computer digital audio workstation to actually start sequencing in the MIDI mm -hmm. uh, notes as we, you know, for the different instruments yeah. uh, when I don't know what I want to do. I, it's just for me. It's it's if you will permit me an analogy. Yeah. It's it's like I uh, will go shopping for a gift for somebody. There's two ways that I like to get someone a gift. One is my f uh, favorite way. Actually, no. There's two ways to get someone <laughs> a gift. One way I love, and one way I I, I really hate. Yeah, yeah. The, the one I love is when you you use your imagination. You think this is what I'm going to get that person, and then it's just a execution to go get it. The other is browsing aimlessly through some big store, and I can't stand that second way. And that's my analogy of sitting at the computer workstation without knowing exactly what I want to do yeah. and just sort of fumbling with some French horn patches and things. Mm. Uh, so I sit down, I know what I want to do, and I start putting it together. Um, once all... Uh, I. I'm a composer that likes to put most of the MIDI notes into the into the sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than leaving a lot to my orchestrator, I pretty much orchestrate it all out with all the woodwinds and you've got second clarinets and yeah. you know the violas and you've got so many mm -hmm. different instruments that you have to work out and yeah. it's very time consuming. 
Uh, but it's also wonderful to do the final step, which is you dub that out as, say, an MP3, send it to your your director, if it's if and when it's approved, mm -hmm. then it goes to your orchestrator. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful thing for your orchestrator to be entrusted with embellishing, maybe thickening certain things, mm -hmm. or maybe even saying, Clint, I know what you're going for here, mm -hmm. but I think it would be better if you did it this way. And uh, in my case on World of Warcraft, that was Lenny Moore. Uh, Lenny was great to work with. Nice. So for you, once um, you've gotten past the Ryan stage and you're thinking about tracking some of these, how much of <laughs> how much um, uh, flexibility do you have with with continuing to change? When do you have to commit? When do you have to really say, okay, this is what we're going. This is what's going to end up in the game. This one would deliver. Well, when when orchestras are so expensive, yeah. uh, you really want to show up at the stage with with ink that is what you're going to record. That's it. Uh, it goes on the stands. It gets recorded. That's it. Now you'll make changes as per needed. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there will be mistakes, and hands will go up. And uh, right. But but it. It is very important, given how expensive each um, minute of recording time in the studio is, that that you go all ready to you're you're committed to the ink and mm -hmm. uh, you know the advent I sh I shouldn't say advent after 15 <laughs> years or so but the ability to sequence this all up in a relatively realistic way yeah. with with the sample uh, workstation um, gives you the ability to to uh, to avoid, you know, major surprises on the stage. Nice. What do you find for you, you know, looking back on this project now, one of the cues that really stands out that that is is a unique uh, piece that maybe was unexpected or something that, you know, instrumentation-wise, I, I see that you have, uh, there's an auto-harp feature. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was a really fun uh, instrument to work with, and I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second. Yeah. I would say that the composition that stands out for me is the uh, actually the second track on the official soundtrack? Okay, which uh, uh, yeah, looks like it's uh, the Homeworld beckons. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And the the thing that I really liked about that uh, piece, I, I suppose, was the way it felt to write it, and okay. that is, it was one of the later pieces of all the pieces that I wrote for the game, and I felt just comfortable, uh, and I, I felt. Um, like I wanted to just enjoy the journey of this piece. I didn't feel the pressures of having to come up with material. I didn't feel the pressures of the professionalism of the situation, the deadline, or, you know, deadline aspect mm -hmm. of the situation. All I did was just want to essentially take a ride on Pirates of the Caribbean. You know? <laughs> and uh, and yeah. for me, it was just this piece of music that kind of wrote itself. Another thing that was really fun about that piece, and I wonder if that's why Russell might have put it second on the, on the soundtrack, is I did something Russell encouraged us all to do, which mm -hmm. is I, I quoted uh, some thematic material from Russell's first track, mm -hmm. A Siege of Worlds. Um, so if uh, the avid listener were to listen to those two pieces back to back, they, they'd be able to spot those little okay. melodic fragments that, uh, nice. that I kind of picked on from, from Russell, picked up from Russell. Um, and the other aspect of the question was... Uh, oh, the auto-harp. Oh, the auto-harp. 
that was an instrument I envisioned for uh, to get a kind of an exotic sound. Of course, for those not familiar with the auto harp, it's it's <laughs> it's like a large cigar box. It's about the size of four cigar boxes, <laughs> but it's one big wooden body, hollow body, with a lot of strings on it, a, a big flat desk-like uh, surface with all these strings, and then all these buttons. And the buttons, when you push them, say things like C chord, D chord, F sharp chord, G minor chord. And when you push that button, a bunch of felt pads go down and mute all the strings that are not a part of that chord. Mm -hmm. And so you do these big foot-long strums across this instrument with a guitar pick or something and get these big, rich, uh, sonorous chords. Um, and so we recorded that as a kind of mysterious element. Mm -hmm. And and what Ido did, uh, the engineer on the project, who was just great to work with, mm -hmm. Ido Chidoti, uh, he, we did two takes of everything, and he panned one take to the right side and the second take to the left side, so it was this kind of big, complex, swirling sound. And so that starts off uh, a piece, for example, which is track 14 on the, on the soundtrack, A Ways of the Ancient One. I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, track 12, Instruments of the Arcane. Mm -hmm. um, the first sound in that track is, is that sort of strumming sound. But that instrument also came in very uh, handy on uh, the track 10, which is Family, where I was in the hotel room uh, and the studio had rented this instrument for me, which was really nice. And, I, and I, so I was keeping it with me in the hotel room and naturally I couldn't keep my hands off it. And I had a little laptop computer yeah. with Pro Tools and a little keyboard. So I was capable of doing rudimentary MIDI sequencing. And so it, I, as I was strumming it, hmm. a tune just popped into my head, the simplest little tune ever, with an A section and a B section, and that was it. And so I tracked it up right there in my hotel room with live auto harp and, uh, and then fake instruments for the rest of the stuff. Mm -hmm sent it to Russell and said, Russell, I understand if you don't want to do something like this. I mean, I can, <laughs> you know, secretly feeling really guilty about how easy it would. I literally wrote it in real time. I mean, I, it, it, the tune is a minute and a half long. I wrote it. It took me a minute and a half to write it. Oh, nice. um, and so I felt guilty. But he wrote back and said, yeah, no, we could use stuff like this in a tavern or a village or kind of a bucolic setting. And so we tracked it up, and, and the way we did it was uh, fiddle and Irish flute and, and uh, tin whistle and strings playing rudimentary, you know, the kind of chord progression a fourth grader would write. <laughs> uh, choir, same thing. One of the things I love about that track, Family, also is uh, there's what I call a choral organ, and choral from the sea, like choral that grows in the sea, yeah. because it's comprised of four low wooden flutes and recorders so when they play that we overdubbed with a soloist so when they play a chord it just sounds like uh, some kind of undersea organ or something so it was a very fun track to write and with all of the wonderful artistry of all the different musicians uh, it became something much more than a little ditty uh, that I came up with in a hotel room it was just really really cool how, how it turned out nice you know, where did you guys end up uh, tracking all the the orchestra sessions and choir where, where was that a lot of different places and uh, there the main place was was Seattle okay. uh, Seattle wonderful uh, Bastyr Chapel up there uh, and then solos were soloists were recorded in, in various locations as well 
Nice. And the great the great thing was just working with the other composers as well. We we were all uh, paired off after we did the initial concept, which was uh, you know all of us together. Then there were two other week long sessions with uh, we were paired off with I was paired off with composer Sam Carden, and the two of us uh, really got to know each other's styles, got to know each other personally. We got very. Uh, loose and comfortable handing off hey you want to do the next cue i'll oh, do nice. the next yeah, cue, yeah. you know and uh meanwhile that same thing was being done by other pairs of the seven composers so uh it, it was a really neat collaborative experience awesome and uh, what have you found in terms of just being uh, a composer for video games for so long now uh how how has dramatically changed with just the the ability of technology what the user is experiencing of you're no longer sequencing on just MIDI and pulling sounds that are somewhat bandwidth limited. What, what I mean, just the the breadth of or the success of a tile like this. I'm just seeing here. It says 3.3 million copies within the first 24 hours. That's incredibly impressive. So, for you, I guess, how how, how do you quantify just what you're capable of of doing now as a composer for for a video game tile like this? Well. <laughs> oh. It, you're so right that the industry has really grown up and I, I started in 1991 uh, at a time when sound cards were just coming out on the market and what they were were things that you would you know put into a PCI slot in your, on your computer yeah and uh, there was very complicated there were IRQ conflicts and I can't even remember all the different types of you know software and hardware conflicts that could happen but once you got it working the video game would send MIDI data to that sound card which would then drive very simple uh, frequency modulation FM synthesis sounds mm -hmm. so you didn't couldn't have too much polyphony ie uh, many notes playing at the same time so your arrangements had to be really sparse yeah. and it sounded very you know sort of phony and, and squeaky and bleeps and bloops <laughs> as they say video games stuff. right yeah yeah and then you know throughout the 1990s and and getting up to about 2000 uh one of the real pioneers i would say was michael giacchino who mm -hmm. has gone on to win an oscar and is in is in film as you as you right. well know and the incredibles and uh, Star Trek and uh, Michael back then was a video game composer and mm -hmm. he uh, worked with EA and, and did Medal of Honor with a live orchestra. Yeah, and that that was about forgive me for if I get this yeah, date wrong. Nineteen ninety nine, maybe two thousand. Uh, was it Medal? Yeah, Medal of of Honor. Medal. The first Medal of Honor was. Been a, it's been around for a while now. It's probably yeah. It's hard to find because there are two. so many Medal of Honors. The first one it looks like was two th ninety nine. Yeah, ninety nine. That would be the one. And and Michael Giacchino worked with a live orchestra, and it blew all of our minds. And I don't know if he was the first one to do that. He probably wasn't. You know how yeah. things are like that. But yeah. certainly one of the first. And it started to demonstrate to publishers and developers that, hey, the money in your overall budget, sure, it's expensive, yes, but in your overall budget, it's not that big a percentage increase. And the impact and the, uh, the emotional appeal of your product skyrockets. 
And so this started to become uh, very fortunate for us musicians mm -hmm. who had been very patient, if you will, for mm -hmm. 10 years uh, uh, working towards this. But around the year 2000 and certainly uh, by 2005, live orchestras were commonplace. Yeah. Um, and that uh, was a, a great break for all of us. And uh, it, it, we, with the technology becoming more and more sophisticated with, with multi-channel surround and high-resolution audio formats, we could actually compete in, say, the home theater uh, from an audio standpoint in terms of the creativity of the, the sound design and the music composition and, mm -hmm. and the quality of its production and playback. Yeah. over a home theater, we could start to compete with film. And that was a, that was a dream come true for many of us who, who for, for, for whom there was almost an inferiority complex back in the older days where film guys were doing the real stuff. <laughs> and we were, we were kind of doing this, you know, romper room stuff over here. Uh. But we, we have merged with that now. And of course, it's commonplace for us uh, and, the, and film composers and orchestrators and yeah. musicians and scoring stages all to now be one big production uh, community. Yeah. And, you know, now that you've, I mean, you've, you've had the experience of working on so many titles and seeing the technology come and go, What's the, the the constant for you in terms of what always is um, part of the process for you? I mean, what what do you find really resonates for game titles and for the gaming experience of, of when you're thinking about you know scoring this music? I would say uh, music from the heart and and the human uh, aspect of it, dramatic considerations, narrative considerations of narrative. Okay. Uh, storytelling and and human depth of, of emotion and uh, and melody. Mm -hmm. Melody is just uh, it, it. You know, everyone talks about how great the Beatles were. It it, it it's pretty much top of the list for me. It, what made them? What was great about them is melody. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. uh, and and melody is something that often gets overlooked. I think that with with. The advent of uh, of all these, you know, digital audio workstations and ability to create these big, dramatic, sonic uh, um, soundscapes and musicscapes by sitting at a computer and and sort of controlling different controllers and mouse, mice, and keyboards and things like that, it it enabled people who didn't necessarily have a lot to say melodically to create these big, impressive sound pieces, music pieces that. Uh, were met with uh, great uh, demand in, in Hollywood. And so a lot of the films that we see and a lot of the games that we see have big impressive scores and their, their composers go on to um, enjoy success after success. But if you really sit back and think about it, you're not getting a lot of melodic treatment, hmm. uh, a lot of melody. And, and when you do get melody, it always moves people, and they always gravitate to that as their favorites, their favorite things. And that's a very important thing, whether you're on a, a synthesizer in 1992, or whether you're uh, working with a live symphony orchestra and choir. If you've got your melody together, mm. then then you're you're going to be uh, communicating with people's hearts. Hmm. What's coming up for you? What's there, what's some future projects that's coming down the pipe that you can talk about? Well, one thing that we've just been doing, which which is uh, we're just finishing up, which has been a great treat, is working on Grim Fandango. It's a re-release uh, coming out from Double Fine and Sony mm -hmm. uh, for PS4, and 
we've been working with uh, my old friend of 35 years now, Peter McConnell, mm -hmm. and one of my co-composers at LucasArts, uh, where, of course, he wrote the score to Grim Fandango originally in 1997-98. And so we've been updating the music and working with the more modern technology to uh, to make it sound more, um, <laughs> you know, like I say, up to date. And yeah. that, that's just been a great uh, experience. We've also been working on a, a Zynga title, Looney Tunes, uh, starring Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Elmer <laughs> okay. Fudd. And, and uh, that's just been a blast writing music and that style. And just a quick thing to say about that is, yeah. is to to create, uh, you know, to take the music of Carl Stalling, which was done back in the day for those Merry Melodies cartoons, yeah. uh, and kind of convert it in, into more of a gameplay propelling uh, type of music, uh, which would be appropriate for a video game, mm -hmm. has been a really fun pro process as well. Awesome, man. Well, congratulations again on the success of this music, and uh, I love the fact that there's soundtracks now. I mean, there have been for a long time, but that people can experience. I mean, they don't have to just play video games to hear the music. Now you can just listen to the music. I know these soundtracks do so well, and um, I look forward to checking out more more of your work in the future. Thank you very much, Michael. Yeah, I agree. It's great. It's great. Great where the the industry is going, and 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 uh, and it's it's exciting to be a part of it but thank thank you very much for the interview I really enjoyed it today thanks man all right take care